Welcome to another episode of Open Dialogue, the podcast for collaborative SEOs and digital marketers. In this episode, I spoke with Lily Ray, who is the SEO director at Path Interactive. During our conversation, we spoke about the growing importance of EAT and some of Lily's upcoming research projects in this area. We spoke about FAQ schema and also how to work effectively with clients to get them on board with SEO. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into this then. Here's another episode of Open Dialogue with Lily Ray. Okay, welcome to the show, Lily. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, really good. Really good. We're recording this before Christmas, so and it will probably be going out um, next year now. Is there is there anything that you'd like to say to, to the people of 2020? 2020, I guess we'll see what happens with Google. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot we, happening we, this year, so it's it's exciting to see what, what's coming up. We, we will indeed. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, I really, there's a, a bunch of things that I'd like to talk about with you, but I'd like to start by looking at your journey into search, if that's okay. Sure, um, let's do it. Because I, I remember you telling me that you used to be a drummer in a band and that you're also a DJ as well. Mm-hmm. So how does that kind of work with being an SEO director? Like how, how has that all come about? Yeah, I've been drumming since I was a little kid. Um, I was in a lot of bands throughout high school. So I was like at high school during the day and then playing in rock bands in San Francisco at night. That was kind of my adolescence. Um, Moved to New York to go to NYU and kept the drumming thing going for a little while on the side. And then um, I found SEO when I was like a junior in college, actually. Uh, It was like a a paid social media internship, which sounded really exciting at the time Mm -hmm. and kind of transitioned into SEO from there. Um, And then eventually switched from drumming to DJing because it's just a lot more practical in New York. It's much more portable to carry headphones than a drum set. (laughs) (laughs) Can imagine. Um, So I do that at night. So I uh, SEO during the day and DJ at night. Okay. And is that... Is that why you decided to start speaking in SEO as well? Is there like that sort of performance aspect to what you do? Does it keep things interesting? Yeah, I didn't really put that together until recently. I was like, well, I really like being on stage, you know? I'm like, wait, I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Actually, there's a lot of parallels between the music world and the SEO world from what I've been kind of gathering over the last year. There's a lot of the same, like, social aspects and, um, you know, community aspects and just, like, who do you know and, like, being at dinners and parties and stuff like that. So it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways, which is yeah. kind of funny. I, I think that's, like, definitely um, a big benefit like there are also some not so great sides to it but on on the whole i think there's like a a great sort of community aspects to to where we are so yeah i haven't really thought about it like that but yeah there's some parallels there um how how do you manage to to balance all of that then so if you're like djing and uh working as an seo director like how what is it is it quite difficult to to balance that that sort of and those two different lifestyles yeah, I used to put a lot more time and energy into DJing um, a little bit earlier in my career when I wasn't uh, responsible for like managing as many clients and as many people yeah. because the issue with that is that you know SEO is a very 
full-time, all-encompassing career. It's very busy, um, especially in New York. We have very long hours. And then DJing is the exact same thing, but it's at night. So Mm -hmm. I would kind of go from work to my DJ gigs in many cases. And I used to have like a residency on Thursdays where I would literally play till like three or four in the morning and then go to work the next day. And that was just totally unsustainable. (laughs) So I have had to, uh, (laughs) yeah, I've had to scale back on that a little bit. So I'm much more focused on my career these days, my SEO career. And I sprinkle in DJing when it makes sense to do so. And it's a fun and exciting gig and I feel good about it, but I'm not like overly playing or burning myself out with, with playing music as much anymore. Yeah. Um, I saw um, I saw a thing, I don't know what social channel it was on, but you put out a, a post saying, um, what was it, I'm X number of days away from, oh, I shouldn't say it, uh, uh, X number of days away from a significant birthday, I won't say which one, um, <laughs> what would you recommend people fill their, their time with in the last days until that significant birthday milestone? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've been kind of living that way for like the past six months. So yeah. it's been like a really big <laughs> countdown. I'm kind of tired at this point. Um, no, I mean, I uh, I guess just friends and family as much as you can. You know, I my especially here in New York culturally, my friends and I, we're always so busy and we don't make the, enough time for each other because of our jobs and our significant mm. others and our families and all that stuff. So just trying to like, you know, we had a last minute party at my house last weekend where I had a lot of my close friends over and like, we don't do enough of that, you know? So just, yeah. I guess, just cherishing the people around you. Yeah, that's that's definitely something I'm going to do. I'm a few months, I'm uh, probably six, no, no, I'm eight months off of that um, that birthday as well. So I'm Amazing. kind of, yeah, I'm I'm not too far away. I'm, I'm starting to have this, uh, these, these sorts of, this sort of existential dread so yeah yeah so, <laughs> a lot of let, different emotions <laughs> for sure but um okay i'd like to talk about um what it's like working at path interactive and um what what does your role look like there and who are the kinds of people that you're working with maybe with clients and the various sort of uh, setup that you have with your team Sure. Yeah. So we, um, Path has been in business, I want to say like 14 years now. Um, I actually just joined about two years ago, although I've known of the company and I've known the executives and everything for much longer than that. Mm-hmm. I actually interviewed here in like 2012 and just decided to kind of put it on hold. Um, but now I'm here. I'm yeah. very, very happy here. It's a wonderful company. Um, so we're really, really fast paced agency. We do all things search. Uh, we do, you know, web development, web design, analytics. And so I help run the SEO team. There's one other person that's our group director that I run the team with. And um, we're about 14 people, maybe 15. We actually just hired someone, which is exciting. Um, And we have an office in Nashville as well. So between the two offices, um, you know, about 15 people on the SEO team, approximately 90 clients or so. Um, So these clients are small businesses that have been with Path for uh, you know, maybe 10 plus years actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but more and more we're getting bigger clients. So we're starting to get extremely big names, um, you know, competing with some of the big agencies out there for extremely big clients. And that, yeah. that's that been really fun. So um, my role is to manage a lot of the teammates here, manage the strategies, um, kind of jump in, especially in the early phases of the engagement and kind of steer the ship, um, make sure that we're doing the right things strategically and we're looking at the right things and things aren't being overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, you know, strategists on the team that kind of take it from there and, and I jump in where I need to. 
Um, but also like half of my role has been business development lately. So talking to potential clients, obviously doing a lot of writing articles and speaking at conferences and getting those new clients as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's actually where my role is going to shift in 2020. I have a lot of speaking engagements lined up around the world. So, um, you know, path is going to basically mold me into like someone that goes out there and potentially gets us lots of clients. So it's going to be an exciting year. That's cool. So where you've been speaking a lot about EAT recently, or probably for a while now, um, yeah. is there, where does that sort of interest come from? Yeah, um, it, it actually came specifically from a client situation that we had here. Um, we had a client that was one of the best performing SEO campaigns I've ever seen. And it was almost like remarkable and too good to be true. And it was such a joy to work on it because the results were just amazing. And then the August 1st update happened and it was like everything went away, <laughs> like everything. Um, so that was catastrophic. And I had never seen anything like that um, with the exception of maybe like the Penguin update. I had some bad experiences with that. Mm-hmm. But um, I'd never seen anything like the the August 1st update just in terms of like the quality of a website having that much of an impact on performance because I hadn't really like done that much of like low quality content and, I, and during the Panda days or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like a different animal. Like EAT felt like such a different approach to SEO than a lot of the things that I had been working on before that. Because before that, I was really focused on like retail and e-commerce SEO and tactical SEO. Um, But with this client, it was very, very clear that EAT was the problem. Mm -hmm. And the more research I did into some of our other clients and a lot of other companies out there, I was realizing like there's this trend that EAT is affecting websites in a really big way that I don't think it ever has before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, if you go back to, I think it was like the Fred update in 2017, that's when people like Marie Haynes, like speculate, we think that this is really when Google started to focus on EAT. But I think that starting in 2018, and then this year in 2019, Google's been ramping that up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so that was that something that affected quite a few of your clients then this August 1st update? Yeah, it it didn't hit them as heavily as that client, but for sure, we started to see a lot of fluctuations with with many of our clients. Um, and actually, Path Interactive got acquired earlier this year, and our parent company has a lot of websites that were also kind of affected. So a lot of like medical websites and financial and things like that. So it was a nice uh, kind of fit really nicely into what we're doing as an SEO team. Um, and then just with a lot of the writing and speaking that I've been doing, we've been getting a lot more of those types of projects as well. So it's definitely becoming kind of an area of expertise for our team. And mm-hmm. um, are there any like kind of key lessons that you've learned since since you've taken more of an interest in this area? Um, and have you have you seen many many recoveries o- over that period of time? Yeah, I've seen a number of them. We've worked on a number of them, which has been really exciting, um, stressful, but also exciting when it works. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, you know, in general with with Google, there's still this like underbelly of, of black hat SEO and spam and mm-hmm. people trying to trick the algorithms and doing things that are shady. And I mean, we all know that we see it all the time. It's like this pervasive thing in the SEO world that we can't seem to get rid of, which is people just trying to find like gimmicks and hacks and everything. Yeah, we're going to get rid of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just that's just not working anymore. And if you're a good SEO agency, I think at this point most of us are not doing those types of tactics. Um, mm-hmm. Even with like link building, you know, a couple of years ago it was common for SEO agencies to just have some type of like paid link building program, you know, just happening in the background. Yeah. And just because you felt like you had to be doing something to build links and that all violates Google's guidelines. So it's just not a smart decision anymore. And I think with 
these types of algorithm updates, it's like we just have to be really authentic with our marketing strategies and stop trying to find short-term hacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you see these fluctuations, um, so when you see like a, a big drop, it, do you have any sorts of monitoring systems in place to detect these across like a lot of different clients? Because I w- was speaking to Glenn Gabe um, probably a few weeks ago, and he said that he's got. I, I hope I'm not revealing any sort of secrets that he's got, but <laughs> he's got like some sort of custom-built tool which um, helps him detect these sorts of these sorts of changes so that he can uh, react a lot faster than Mm -hmm. you would otherwise. Have you got something similar or is there like a a tool that you use to to kind of um, find these changes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, We have custom alerts set up in analytics for Mm -hmm. certain things. So if traffic drops below a certain percentage um, or a certain amount, we get emails about that. So that's helpful. Um, And then we also have like dashboards on data studio that we've been using so because we have so many clients we create like uh basically a dashboard that our teams can log into with the client logo and then what their traffic has looked like or you know their search console performance has looked like over the last couple of days so that's a nice place to go um and then basically just if we hear chatter about an algorithm update we'll log into analytics and look at daily performance and hourly performance and and there's a handful of clients that we go to first because it's really like your money, your life websites that seem to be hit. We have a lot of clients that don't really get affected by algorithm updates. So we start obviously by looking at the ones that are more volatile. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And um, at the different conferences that you're going to be speaking at next year, what are the kind of core messages that, that you're going to be saying there? Or mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know whether maybe you haven't, got to that yet but it'd be interesting <laughs> to to hear what message you want kind of to to give out to seos and what kind of um like you wrote this uh scj post about um misconceptions around dat is there mm-hmm. like uh are there a lot of those that people still don't realize mm-hmm. yeah i mean on that sense for sure people are having a hard time grasping eat and that's because it's somewhat of an unclear thing. You have to really read the search quality guidelines to get a good understanding of what EAT means. And that's a big document, so not a lot of people do that. But um, I think with my talks next year, it's going to be partially that, like hopefully clarifying some misconceptions and talking about how EAT factors into Google's algorithms or not, potentially, because we don't get 100% clarity on that from Google, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but more so, what I'm planning to do is I want to put out a lot of proprietary research and data next year as much as I can. So um, I'm going to be doing a lot of work with like Systrix, for example, who does a lot of monitoring about performance of various mm-hmm. websites, especially as it relates to algorithm updates. And I'd like to do that at scale as much as possible and kind of the way I did it at my PubCon presentation in which my team and I, we actually looked at like 60 plus websites manually, which was a really big process just to kind of report back on what we're seeing with winners and losers of the updates. I'd like to do that more on a larger scale okay. with more data and report back to the world about like, what does it actually mean to have good EAT based on who's performing well nowadays? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to to see some of that because that that's something that we've, we're kind of hoping to do at deep crawl as well and um, looking at more of uh, uh technical issues with with sites but it's yeah it's not the the easiest thing to arrange and 
um, running studies like that, it's it's quite def- difficult to get meaningful data out out of it. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, we've done projects like that before, and we thought we had some great stuff, but once you kind of whittle down what data you can actually use, it's um, yeah, it's not always always as clear as you'd yeah. like to think, but. Yeah, it's really tricky. And, you know, another thing, too, that makes it complicated is this is all a huge moving target. And Mm -hmm. you can start down one path and, like, use a bunch of sites and and analyze their performance. And by the time you finish your analysis, there's another core update the next day. And it's like, all your your (laughs) data is wrong. (laughs) That's happened to me so many times. And, like, it's it's kind of a joke with Glenn, Gabe, and Marie and I because we talk about algorithm updates. And it's like... It's almost always like two days before you're about to speak that everything changes, and so it's like, yeah. all right, gotta make some changes. <laughs> you know? That but, uh, that was the same for for my colleague here at Deep Crawl, Adam Jemp, where he was going to speak about pagination, and then totally. yeah, um, just before his talk, they they announced that um, they weren't using uh, Real Next, Real Previous. So oh yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, so yeah. that <laughs> that really messed up his talk, but he dealt with it well. So um, his talk was amazing. I. I, I reference that talk often it was excellent yeah it's it's a really good one and um yeah i'm i'm really encouraging him to to speak more he like i think he enjoyed it immediately afterwards but he said oh i'm i'm probably not going to do that again yeah (laughs) it's a lot of work for sure yeah um cool so i'd like to to move on and look at some disaster and success stories you might have so um a lot of this podcast is about relationships, particularly with developers and other teams. And I'm keen to get an understanding of um, examples where things haven't gone quite to plan and the kind of learnings from from uh, those experiences. Is there anything that you have in, in that sort of realm? Yeah, I think there's a common thread when things don't go well um, and we've all kind of experienced it which is just like prioritization of SEO or people not taking it seriously enough so a lot of the times um, especially with site migrations because we do a lot of those I think everybody probably does a lot of those at this point it's pretty common for websites to need to migrate or replatform or you know do something like that Um, we either come in too late like they invite us into the conversation a little bit too late and say hey we have like six weeks to do this or in some cases not even that like hey we have two weeks you know Mm -hmm. and we're doing this catastrophic thing and (laughs) can you do some seo and we're like what you know it's crazy um so that's one thing that happens pretty often and that's kind of unfortunate and we really try to educate clients about the time frame that we'll need to do things successfully and another thing that happens is maybe we do have enough time to plan something like a migration but the SEO doesn't get prioritized in the way that it should because right. there's a million other things in the queue and, and the client might not take it seriously enough or they might not fully understand the impact that it will have to lose that traffic for them. No matter how much we put together projections and we you know, we really try to educate and explain, sometimes it's just not the priority. Sometimes they say, you know what, like we just don't have time to migrate the blog, so we're mm-hmm. going to have to kill that traffic. And that's really unfortunate for us, obviously. Right. And as as the agency, do you just have to sort of accept that that's the route they're going down, and um, do you, how how do you kind of respond to that? Well, I think the most important thing is to get things in writing. That's one thing that I've learned over the years is that right. if they tell you, "Listen, we're migrating or we're not migrating the blog. We're going to kill the blog," and we say, "Okay, you know, we understand you're making that decision. We don't recommend it, but." 
in writing, here's what we anticipate is going to happen as a result. Here's how much traffic and revenue or goal completions or anything like that that we think you might lose as a result. Here's what we could potentially do in the future to get it back. Here's how long we think it might take to get it back. And just getting that in writing, um, because inevitably what happens is people start to point fingers after when they see the impacts of what happened. And in some cases, it it has a worse impact than anybody anticipated. And that's Mm -hmm. when people really start to get kind of angry with each other. And so having those things in writing and making sure the client acknowledges them has been helpful in many cases. Okay. I'm getting the sense that you've kind of been burnt there before. Is that (laughs) that accurate? Are there any good stories that you can can share with us there? Or is it... yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that, that, that's the minority, right? I right. mean, if people are investing with an SEO agency like ours, it, it generally means that they're excited about SEO and they believe mm-hmm. in SEO. And that's more and more true over time. Um, you know, we have some clients where it's just something that they pay for and they don't fully understand it and it can be difficult to work with them. And, but more and more, we're getting people who are like, listen, I've been through a couple different consultants or agencies or I just feel like we've never done this right before. So we're ready for the real deal. We're ready to like do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of... Uh, onboarding in the beginning and kind of explain roles and responsibilities and how we can effectively work together. And with those types of clients where you have the right person in place who's like, yep, I believe in this. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to prioritize it. I'm going to work with the developers. Generally speaking, I would say that's the majority of of the types of clients that we work with. And and it's very effective when that's the relationship. Mm -hmm. And when you're going in and talking to new potential clients, what kind of... um, what kind of things uh, are you kind of presenting to them? Like how how do you get them on board? Mm-hmm. This is a, I don't know if it's that secret of a weapon, but it kind of feels like my secret weapon because I don't mm-hmm. think all agencies do this. But me personally, I spend a lot of my time auditing potential clients. Yeah. And what I like to do is put my heart and soul into things. Granted, when they don't hire you and you've spent a lot of time working on their <laughs> finding opportunities for their site and they don't hire you and then you know that they go do them that's very disheartening and that's a risk it's a risk that you take um i've had that in interviews before where uh, people will get you in and they go oh can you can you like do an audit of of this site or for for other non-seo jobs and um you just get the feeling that they're just it's just free labor and maybe there wasn't a job there after all (laughs) it's very frustrating i mean with Mm. rfps especially they'll ask like hey can you like tell us precisely how we should be doing this tactic and tell us all the tools you use and the order of events and everything i'm like really that's like but I enjoy doing that. I really enjoy getting into the room with potential clients and telling them what I found. That's mm-hmm. like my happy place. Yeah. Um, and I have a pretty good track record of getting clients through those types of conversations. I've, I've had some wins this year that have been like, wow, I can't believe that actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I like to do. I like to give away probably too much because when it works and you end up getting a fantastic client out of it, it's totally worth it. Yeah. yeah you just got to hope that those people taking you for a ride are uh, in the minority, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, how much of your so do you get to spend less time in like the down in the weeds of SEO? Like, is there a, is your time more consumed with management now, and is that a different con- difficult kind of balance to strike? Because I was speaking to uh, Will Critchlow a few days back, and he he was talking about how he has to have like his passion projects like his his job is purely management really but he's got all of these sorts of um experiments going on and all these different things and that that kind of keeps him going is that uh, a similar sort of thing for you 
Definitely. When I when I started transitioning from being like an SEO specialist that was just responsible for managing a handful of accounts to becoming more of a manager, mm-hmm. um, and that was in my last role, I was really worried about that because when when I was a specialist and I saw like how the directors operated, I was like, wow, they they talk about SEO all day, but they don't do it. You know, that's mm-hmm. so that's such a bummer because that's the fun <laughs> part is actually doing it. Yeah, you know, right. in my at least from my perspective. Um, so I've always made it really clear to my bosses, like I can't ever be in a situation where I'm not doing some of the work. Uh, I, I need to be busy doing the work. And of course, with the type of role that I currently have, there's a lot of managing and there's a lot of like speaking, obviously, but I make it a point to continue to work on some accounts, get my hands dirty and use the tools and analyze the data. And at the yeah. very least, I always have at least one or two freelance projects at night, which my husband thinks I'm crazy for doing. <laughs> <laughs> I basically go home at 10 o'clock at night and then keep doing SEO. Oh my God. But you have to. And then a DJ like, set afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I stay pretty busy, but you, you have to. I mean, like, there's things that you learn, even just by doing a freelance project, even like on a yeah. Wix site or a Squarespace site where the next day, your client will ask you like, hey, have you ever done a Squarespace SEO? And you're like, yeah, I was doing it last night. You know, <laughs> you have to stay fresh like that in this industry. It's just yeah. no way around it. <laughs> that's, that's really cool to hear. And um, just moving on to uh, the flip side of the disaster stories, are there any success stories that you could tell us about where working with different teams has gone really well and you've seen some great results there? Yeah, Again, I think it's it's dependent on who the people at the company are and how much they believe in the process. Um, I had one client that was my favorite client of many years, and you know, my the contact that I had there was a CMO. She really, really believed in SEO and search in general, and um, you know, she made the things that I recommended. She made them happen, and she hired the right people to get those things done. So we had a full time content writer. That was a new hire that they made because of the SEO relationship. Uh, they had a team of developers that very much respected the things that we were working on and they believed in it and they, they executed very quickly. So when you have people executing on your recommendations in a reasonable time frame, obviously you see results more quickly. Mm-hmm. And when you see results more quickly, the CEO starts paying attention because he's like, what's going on over here? What's this organic search bucket? What are we doing with that? Um, and what ended up happening with that client was like, they were in Seattle and they would fly me out there constantly and, and kind of have these meetings and say like, this is working really well. Whatever you and your team is doing, it's magic for our company because it's free traffic, you know, mm-hmm. aside from what we pay you guys. It's <laughs> a fantastic investment for us. So can you keep doing that? And we have other partner companies and sister companies. Like, can you do it for them as well? And I was like, yeah, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really about believing in the process. Okay. And when you're looking to onboard new clients, are, there, are you looking for sorts of signs that someone might be out of that mold in terms of a, a good client. Um, mm-hmm. would you, are there times where you've had to turn people away because you don't think it would be a good fit? Yes, that's happened for sure. Um, part of it is personality. Honestly, if you just can't have a good conversation or you feel like they're making unrealistic demands or that they're going to be a really big problem to work with, we won't take that on because it's just not going to be a good use of our time. It's not going to be an effective relationship. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty rare that like it's personality alone that's the issue. Sometimes people give you red flags. Like um, we had someone earlier this year that was like, "Yeah, we've had five you know SEO agencies in the past two years." <laughs> right. It was like, "What did right. they What's all do going wrong?" On there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, those types of statements can be like 
maybe we'll be the sixth one and we'll be the amazing thing and it works to get, it works really well for years but you have to kind of listen for those red flags or a lot of the time people will be they'll have tried a lot of tactics that don't work to the point where their website's full of like spam bad links bad strategies and it's a lot of cleanup work and they don't they don't believe that they've done anything wrong like situations like that it's like mm-hmm. eh, i don't know if this is going to work out so well yeah. um are you do you tend to work with kind of clients who are with you for the long term or is it more kind of like project based and then that that uh, relationship ends or mm-hmm. what is it is it a broad mix of everything we have a really good track record here at Path of keeping clients for a really long time. Um, in fact, again, I've only been here two years and there's like a handful of SEO clients where I'm like, wow, they've been with Path since like, I don't even know, 2009 or something. <laughs> like that's like, that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> um, so we have a lot of people that stay with us for many, many years and we become like a trusted partner to them. We're really a big part of how they operate online. Um, and that's, I'd say the majority of our clients um, it's kind of remarkable to me because I've worked at other places, like how long people stay here, which is really rewarding. But um, we do projects as well, for sure. Uh, a lot of these algorithm update type engagements have been projects. So that's, hey, we'll give you guys three months or six months to send us an audit and tell us what you find. And we basically have to implement everything and, and see if it works. Mm-hmm. You know, But you don't necessarily need to be working together for months and months and months. You can just kind of send them, like I found... 40 things that you guys should try implementing and then maybe we'll get on the phone next year and see what happened. Yeah, right. And um, I'm wondering whether you've got any advice for how uh, SEOs can better uh, help educate uh, maybe maybe clients or yeah, generally people outside of SEO, the, the people that they work with. Do you have any uh, like strong advice there? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest issue is um, just being like empathetic and knowing how to speak other people's language because I've had situations before where like you say something like a canonical is always an example that I use where Mm -hmm. you're not explaining what that means and there's people in the room who immediately kind of tune you out because they don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what that is. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) That happens a lot. I've actually had like at one point a CEO who got really angry. It wasn't with me, but it was with like a, a different paid search team that kept using these these vocabulary terms that he didn't know what they meant. He's like, I literally don't know what you guys are talking about. And I made time to have this meeting with you. That's, that's yeah. not okay. You know? <laughs> so it's always taking a step back and being like, this is what the search result looks like. Here's a picture of it. You mm-hmm. know, when I say featured snippet, I mean this thing up here and they're like, Oh, I've seen that on my phone yeah. and they're engaged. So you always have to engage and be like, are you with me? Like, do we understand what this means? Like, yep, I got it. You know, keep going. Okay. Uh, that type of communication is super important. So it's about adapting your language to the the intended audience. Because I've had that a bit internally where I've um, been chatting with, with some of our developers and um, they're, they're generally really good, but the, um, the best ones are, are able to describe things in ways that kind of non-technical people would be able to understand and they, yeah. they can get across these complicated concepts but in a, a, a kind of accessible way and mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's not it's not necessarily an easy thing to do um, and yeah. especially with SEOs we we kind of get wrapped up in our world of like we've got so much jargon and uh, so many different phrases that only we're really aware about that I think it's easy to forget that the rest of uh the rest of a business might not understand what what the hell we're on about. 
Totally. And even within the SEO world, there's a lot of terminology and concepts that people want to sound cool and smart by referencing and they don't fully understand them. And that's fine because SEO is a very multifaceted industry that includes a lot of different, uh, I guess, like acronyms and jargon, like you said. So like Mm -hmm. NLP, for example, like we're not experts in NLP. There's, there are experts in NLP, natural language processing, out there, and they go to university for it, and they get degrees in it, and I have friends that are in that industry. And mm. it's only the past couple of years that that's become a really big part of the SEO world. Um, so I like to say with these types of things, like, I'm trying to learn about it. You know, I'm doing as much research as I can. My team and I are very interested in that topic, but yeah. we're not going to pretend to know how it all works. That's mm-hmm. a different trade completely. Yeah. So you have to be honest about how much you really know, and you also have to be able to bring in true experts when when needed, because we're not experts in everything. Yeah, I really like speaking with um, Dawn Anderson because she she's like a mine of information in that sort of area. And um, totally, I, yeah, she she was kind of encouraging me and others to go along to um, an IR conference. So looking at <laughs> information reti- retrieval. And uh, I, I imagine they're probably, I don't know, slightly more academic than your typical SEO mm. conference, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to okay. give it a go. That's that's my uh, resolution for 2020 is uh, attend an IR conference. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's <laughs> awesome what she does. She's always talking about it. She's, she's always saying she's the only SEO person there. And uh, like you said, it's very yeah. academic and she's always taking pictures with her heroes and yeah. sharing their like, <laughs> you know, their seminars on YouTube. And it's, it's super cool. It's a total, it's a different industry in my opinion, but obviously there's tons of overlap with what we do. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's there's still quite a, a gap there. We need we need more people who un- understand um, this stuff and can can kind of bring it into um, the the SEO community. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I like to move on to talk about shameless plugs. Do you have anything that you'd like to to promote that you're working on? Um, yeah. Any- yeah. I mean, I mean, as I mentioned before, I I have kind of lofty visions for what I'd like to do with with my talks next year. So I'll be working with Systrix. I'm going to be actually meeting up with them in Germany soon, and nice. figuring out how we can use this tool to um, automate a lot of the types of analysis that my team and I are doing around EAT and algorithm updates. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if all goes to plan, it hasn't been done yet, so it's kind of lofty again, but if all goes to plan, I'll have some really cool data that I'd like to share later this year, uh, or sorry, next year, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, I'm doing some other work as well. Like I, I have a, a survey that I've been putting together about trustworthiness of different types of search results that I'm hoping to publish um, potentially on Moz, maybe in early 2020. Nice. So. I guess just keep an eye on on uh, what I'm doing because we'll see where how these things play out. I don't exactly know yet, but I hope to publish a lot of things next year. Nice. Um, you published something earlier this year on Moz, didn't you? That was around um, FAQ schema. That that was you, right? Wasn't it? Yep, that was yeah. me. Yeah, I'd be keen to. <laughs> I'd be keen to get. Oh, sorry, I was just trying to like. I, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I was pretty sure it was you. Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> There's a lot of people um, talking about it for sure. Yeah, but I'd be keen to get your your kind of opinions on that and whether it's a a good thing for us as SEOs because there, I feel like there's there's been quite a bit of debate as to whether it, it's beneficial. Um, you've got some people on on one side saying that it's taking away traffic from 
uh, sites and like keeping people within Google and their their kind of ecosystem. But then they're um, distilled. They put out a piece where they've seen that it's actually um, improved traffic to their site. How what how do you kind of see the these sorts of these sorts of things? Yeah. So. It was actually, I flagged on Twitter, like the site that I put FAQ schema on with my mm-hmm. team and, and we saw a big drop in traffic as a result. That was pretty surprising, um, which is, I think, what inspired, like, you know, among some other conversations, like Distilled to do that type of test, which is yeah. great. And I was, I was really happy to see their results because, of course, we don't want traffic to be disappearing. But I have a lot of thoughts about that because mm-hmm. it really depends what you're putting the FAQ markup on. If it's purely informational, and it wasn't bringing you business anyway, and it was just a way to get your name out there and maybe bounce bounce rates were really high, um, then I don't think it's that big of a deal to lose traffic to the FAQ schema. You're still getting somewhat of, you know, your your brand out there and some name recognition by putting out the content. But one nice discovery from that whole conversation was the fact that you can add links within the actual answers in FAQ schema. Uh, And that's like... For me, that was like groundbreaking because there's not a lot of different types of organic results where you can put potentially like 20 links to your site within an organic result. There's no limit, you know? I didn't realize you could put links in there. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a nice hack. We'll see how long it lasts. I've been caveating that a (laughs) lot with like Google's probably going to away. They'll close that loophole soon, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But I do recommend it. And what's cool about FAQ schema is you can add it to pages that aren't strictly FAQs. You can just add some FAQs to a page and then add FAQ schema to it. And you can potentially get different types of schema on the same page. Like you could do product schema plus FAQ schema. It doesn't Mm. always show in the search results, but when it does, it's like the best looking organic result you can have. Nice. And I suppose it can like it is essentially giving you more real estate within the SERP, which could mean that you're kind of pushing out competitors as well, I guess. So yeah. it's that, yeah. that sort of benefit. If you do it on if you do it on mobile, you can actually take up the entire screen, which is pretty cool. That, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Um okay, I think we're going to wrap things up here. Um oh no, wait, there there's one last thing. Um is there any kind of product, company, or service that you're using currently that makes your working life um, simpler, easier, faster, more efficient that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, uh, again, I love Systrix just in terms of auditing websites that we don't necessarily have the analytics for because you can put any domain on there and you can actually look at visibility around the whole world, which is pretty cool. And you Mm -hmm. can see how they've been affected by different algorithm updates or how their traffic has gone up or down over time. Um, So that's one tool that we've been using a lot. Um, And I also love Stat um, for rank tracking. I've really been enjoying that tool. Yeah, I I haven't ever used Stat. I've seen um, a couple of rob bucci's presentations and like mm-hmm. always really impressed with the the research that they put out as well but mm-hmm. yeah so um are they they're still going right they're owned by moz now yep they're but, owned by moz but yeah. they still have their own platform which is very like data heavy um and mm-hmm. you have to take a little bit of time to understand how it works but once you have the data in there it's it's really exciting and kind of oh. addicting to okay. play with it cool i'm gonna have to might have to look into that but, yeah. um, thank you so much for, for joining me and uh, sharing your experiences and um, a lot of great advice there. Um, so, yeah, thank, thank you very yeah, much, Lily. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, hopefully see you out, out on the road on an FCO conference soon. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Looking cool. forward to it. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. Right. A massive thank you to Lily for being such a superb guest. 
And if you want to hear more from her on Twitter, you can find her at LilyRayNYC. And if you'd like to hear more from myself, I'm at Sam underscore Marsden on Twitter. Also, if you want to share our podcast with the world, then make sure to add the hashtag open underscore dialogue. Before you go, I would like to let you know that this podcast has been made possible by my employer, DeepCrawl. So if you're interested in improving the technical health and organic performance of the websites that you manage, make sure that you check us out, head on over to deepcrawl.com and have a look at how we can help. We've even got a two-week trial for you to give us a go with. I'd also like to give a shout out to BMO Studios based in Hackney Central. They make Open Dialogue sound as great as it does. If you're interested in finding a written recap of this podcast, you can head on over to the DeepCrawl blog by visiting deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast and you'll also be able to sign up to our mailing list as well. So thank you again for listening and I hope you join us again soon. 